0: Live from our respective socially distanced abodes. Welcome to the Zoom Sports Combos Podcast. <laughs> My name is Samuel Ree. With me today, we got some guys. Introduce yourselves. I'm David Cody. I'm Ethan jabson <laughs> I'm Gram Lee. And welcome to our uh, our Brown Sports Combos Podcast. NBA draft 2020 edition, because that's coming up. That is a sports thing that's occurring. And it's the only important thing happening in the news. Uh, at all. Over the, at, <laughs> all <laughs> at all, at <laughs> <laughs> all. then uh, you, you do not need to fact check me on that one. Um <laughs> Yes, so we are coming together today. We are intending to focus on the NBA draft, uh, sort of evaluating the prospects, how we feel about those things. So this will be a bit more NBA-centric. There may be some more sports uh, reach in our content later in the pod during our two-cent finishes, but that's probably going to be our focus for today. Uh, Really quick before we start on that, I did want to briefly talk about... Something that just got confirmed uh, relatively recently that the NBA has confirmed. They are starting a 70 ish game season in December 22nd. Uh, The biggest
1: news to drop this weekend.
0: Absolutely. I've heard nothing else that would uh, even come close to that. (laughs) Yes. So the NBA did confirm that uh, the players association agreed to those terms just quickly to present some facts before you guys uh the nba proposed two different scenarios to the players association the first was the one that they went with the december 22nd start with 72 games and that would end the finals would end sometime in july the second proposal was starting in january having about a 62 game season spreading out the schedule a little bit more and ending the finals in august and I think it seems as though there was a little bit of pressure from the NBA uh, sort of presenting to the Players Association, you are going to lose this amount of money for these 10 games that will be shaved off uh, in the event that we go with scenario two. Uh, So I don't have the exact quotes about that in front of me right now, but those are things that I've been looking up prior to this pod. So. Uh, yeah, let me present this to the other hosts. What are you guys feeling about this early start?
1: I guess I guess my primary worry is injuries. Mm. I think we're we're seeing a short turnaround for the teams that uh, made the playoffs and played deep into the bubble. Um, especially, I mean, obviously teams like the Heat and the Lakers, but especially the like the Celtics, the Nuggets, the Clippers, teams that made deep runs. Um, and on the other hand, I'm also slightly worried about the teams that haven't played basketball since March and <laughs> what the re-entry into playing professional basketball is going to be like for them because that, well, it's an unprecedentedly short offseason for LeBron, the Heat, the Lakers. It's an unprecedentedly long season mm. for, uh, say, the Knicks, like any team that didn't make it. So I'm I'm generally worried about health as as players try to re-enter the game after short and very long uh, breaks without basketball.
2: Yeah. uh, We touched on this a bit on the last pod, but I also feel that especially in the uh, way our country is right now with coronavirus, I have concerns there too. Like it's been tough enough with MLB and the NFL, but with the NBA, you know, we're finding out now, uh, along with like, uh, stuff everyone knows about uh, hospitalizations and cases being up. That the apparent there are signs that the virus might be airborne and its transmission, meaning that uh, indoors some of the uh, precautions might not be able to work in the same way they will work would work outdoors. And right. since NBA is an indoor sport, and since they're not planning to have a bubble this time, right? about how. Uh, these games could become, you know, super spreader events, even if they take some decent protocols if just a few things go wrong. So uh, if it were up to me, I think I might have done something different uh,
3: at least, but we'll we'll see how it goes, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I just kind of view this as kind of a bitter pill you have to swallow just for the long-term kind of health of the league. Like, even though like this past bubble has been a like, huge success, just monetarily, there were still massive losses and just want to survive the league protecting, I guess like those Christmas games, like those NBA games that are like in NBA history and the things that actually kind of really to the league are really important. And yes, it's like definitely sucks. I feel like whoever won the champ- wins the championship this year is going to have the ultimate asterisk championship just because you've had like players on the Lakers like Jared Dudley and Danny Green kind of talking about how LeBron will take a lot of time off kind of like you guys said and also just the rash of injuries but also it's like an opportunity to maybe implement other things that the NBA was toying around with like what if the NBA kind of does like kind of like a series like they do in baseball or what if they kind of have like a tournament to like kind of I guess like if something's bad and then they can try to re-implement like a bubble system or even then like kind of how, how we said earlier just it's an opportunity for kind of young guys to kind of inject some fun in the league i mean like even though i knew like bowl bowl playing was just like kind of pointless during like those eight, eight, eight games they were there i mean it was just really fun to see them like block a shot and then splash a three
1: mm. yeah i think uh- I think one, I guess, positive we'll see is teams will be going pretty deep into their benches uh, early in the season, and we'll be seeing a lot of guys getting chances, chances to play basketball, um, I think more so than they would in normal seasons. Yeah, I've made my feelings on having a shortened offseason pretty clear
0: in the past. I think what we've seen uh, historically has suggested that shorter off seasons are directly correlated with Higher injury risks just because of the way that players have to get their bodies ready for what's becoming a very intensive sport. It's it's mm. more active. Uh, I would, there was a study that I read about this, but basically players are doing more during their games than at any other point in NBA history over these past five years, uh, and it's been it's been just rapidly increasing. And I would say that, and I would also propose that these players haven't had access to a lot of the resources that they normally would have in a typical season because mm-hmm. of the nature of the pandemic. Uh, we have already heard from some players that their personal trainers, uh, some some of them weren't able to get in touch or access to their personal trainers. Obviously, gym workouts are going to be uh, more limited. So who knows how much basketball they've actually been able to play. Uh, that was a concern going into the bubble as well, but maybe they were a little bit more fresh. Maybe they'd been doing... Uh, they had a little bit of a warm up period going into that and i think it's it's right to be concerned about you know the potential risk that this presents physically to players uh financially it's obviously a good decision for the league they had a lot of success with the bubble considering what the circumstances are once again having to cut off in person ticketing and um losing 15 to 20 games stuff something like that mm. so I think it's like Graham said, and uh, welcome to Graham. First time Potter for us. Yeah, also (laughs) Um, shout out
1: Graham.
3: Quarantine activity, you know.
0: Yeah, but um, as Graham pointed out, this is a pill that I think we're going to have to swallow. I I don't see how there's another choice for the league at this moment in time. Uh, We saw, again, the bubble had zero positive COVID cases. And compare that to all these other leagues that have been traveling that have been going on. It's just night and day what they were able to accomplish with that. And it just may not be a possibility for them with a 30 team, 72 game season. Uh, We're having a bit of a resurgence in cases in America, uh, in several different places. I know Rhode Island's having some Arkansas hit a new high not too long ago. Uh, Let's go Arkansas. (laughs) (laughs) So there's definitely risk associated with this. Um, And I guess the question at this point is, is it a risk that results in disaster for the league or is it something that they're able to manage?
1: Right. And I think, I think you can kind of look at the NFL to, to get an idea. I know the leagues and the sports are very different in structure. Obviously NFL rosters are about five times the size of NBA rosters. Um, And practices logistics are all very different it's an outdoor sport it's all very different however um the nfl has had quite a bit of trouble with cases during this season um at least with players we don't know i don't know if there are numbers out on the degree to which fans in stadiums have uh further spread coronavirus i'm sure it has um but the NFL has kind of struggled to pull off the the no bubble um, COVID season, so I'm I'm wondering. I know the NBA will be helped, obviously, by the sizes of rosters, um, but I'm wondering in a in a season in a sport where you travel so often, uh, if that could also hurt them. Um, and another yeah, another
2: difference between the NBA and both the NFL and the MLB is this will be both. The longest season in terms of number of games played of all the seasons that have happened post-pandemic without bubble so far, as mm-hmm. well as the fact that I'm I haven't heard this confirmed. So correct me if I'm wrong, and you know it, but I think they're planning to do like a very, fairly conventional schedule. You know, finals happening sometime this summer, which with the MLB, even though they played sixty games, it was in a very constrained time scale. They're playing games like almost every day it started late July and was already over by this next month doing things. Obviously we don't know exactly how the pandemic will go over the months, but like talking about possibly like uh, five, six months or more uh, of uh, this disease going around as you played the season, I think Mm. it's going to be very tough. I don't, it's hard to know how to quantify like what is a failure, what is a success. Like I think right. they might get it played, but like I, I still think that you're gonna find things popping up that just make this like the other leagues and maybe even beyond the other leagues, uh not not something that you can uh
1: feel that great about. Speaking of something that's not something you can feel that great about, let's talk about this draft class. Um, in the NBA. Uh,
2: what a segue.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love was, that I, transition. I, love it, love it. was love like, it. can Ethan please say something that I can segue here? lamelo <laughs> um, um, Ball has been picked to go number one by a few people. Um, Anthony Edwards has kind of, as far as I understood, had been the consensus, but I guess a lot of people are understandingly enthralled with his six-foot-eight playmaker who can shoot it from space um so i'm wondering we've we've heard talk already that this draft class isn't particularly great at the top there's talk that this free agency class before the season starts isn't particularly great at the top so i guess my most general question to you guys is What should we be looking out for that could significantly alter the landscape of the NBA this off season, particularly in this draft?
0: I'm glad that you asked, David. Uh, Ethan presented something in the Brown Sports Convos group chat earlier that uh, did intrigue me, but I'm not sure exactly how I feel about it. And that was the... Rumors sort of milling around the Boston Celtics organization that they were looking to cash in on all three of their first round picks, uh, all of them later in the draft than perhaps they'd like, and looking to move up in this draft. Um, I said it then, and I'm going to repeat it now. I think this, this poses one of two possibilities, right? One of them is the more obvious one, which is that they see someone in top 10 range that they are very, very happy about or see a lot of potential in. Um, the other is that this is sort of a ploy to increase the value of top picks so that they can sell high on some of the stuff. I, I really don't know what's the what the play is here. It's kind of hard to read what teams are saying around this time of year. Um or I guess this part of the season, since this isn't really fixed any calendar date anymore. But I mean, we saw some feelers being put out for s- certain draft prospects that teams later said they had no interest in, and they were just trying to make things a little bit more spicy around the conversations around them. We saw that with Markel Fultz in that one, uh, in that one draft, and uh, I, I think it's possible that we're seeing it now with Denny Avdija. Uh, Av- I'm I'm not quite sure how to say his name. Avdija, I believe, is what I've heard. Um, But, yes, uh, the warriors have expressed significant interest in uh, Deni Avija, the uh, sort of big wing from Israel who has... Oh, David, you're muted right now.
1: (laughs) Is that that interest a threat to pick them at one, or is the implication that they would move back for Deni Avija?
0: Uh, well, he's projected to be a top five pick by some boards. Like some people have him at four, some people have him at three. So I guess it really depends on how high the Warriors are exactly. Uh, They are picking second in the draft right now. So it wouldn't right. be too much of a stretch in a draft that people are saying is kind of weak up at the top for them to maybe pick him at two. But right. it's, it's really not clear at this time. Um, I would say... If they're expressing interest now, and it is a play of some kind, the play would be to trade down for somebody else that they would really like, and maybe somebody's trading up to get De- Denny Adige, Um, mm. who, again, I'm not totally sold on. I think my issue with him is it doesn't really seem like he is elite at a particular skill that would give him an advantage in the league. He is passably athletic. Uh, he has a passable shot, but. He shoots 55% from the free throw line, which is a strong indicator that it may not translate to the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, his playmaking is passable. His defense is passable. There's a lot of stuff that, like, it shows that he has a strong basketball IQ, but I'm not really sure how it applies in these other contexts
3: yet. Yeah. and to yeah. Just, Sorry. Just, go, go on. Go on. No, just to kind of, like, just, add some stuff to denny avica like i I agree like also just like with shooting he's shot 56 percent on 563 free throw attempts since 2017 free throw like free throw percentage is normally a pretty good indicator of like just overall shooting so just for a guy that like he does have a big frame like six nine but who kind of i guess lacks like like the kind of like elite burst and just like speed that kind of makes up for a lack of a consistent jump shot. He's kind of like, I guess, LaMelo Ball in that sense of like interesting potential with the kind of size he can do. But a jump shot, I guess, like, especially with the way the NBA is now is will be the ultimate kind of decider for how good he'll be.
0: And really quickly, if you want to make the comparison to LaMelo Ball, I think that they're interesting prospects with their potential in two different ways, really, because they both got big frames, right? But the the big thing with Denny is that he has skills in a lot of aspects of the game that people value at this point. Uh, I I really do think that his shooting does need to improve for him to have like a very solid spot on an NBA roster, but he's got stuff. He's got smarts. He's got clear p- passing vision and uh, the ability to drive to the basket relatively strongly. The thing with Mello is he's really good at two very important things in this league. He's pretty good at shooting, and he's really good at passing. Uh, He may get Mm -hmm. a little bit full of himself at times and uh, take some boneheaded shots, but I think that he has skills that are going to translate to the league immediately, and it's more of a question of if the other stuff is going to fill out around him.
2: So, Sam, do you think that that's going to translate to him uh, being either number one or, like, right in that top three picks so it, it really depends on who you ask right because mm-hmm. what we're looking at
0: in the top five picks are we got the timberwolves we got the warriors hornets bulls and cavaliers bulls we were just talking about billy donovan bulls hired billy donovan i think that they're looking to accumulate young talent and actually start making it come together for a change uh and i think billy donovan mm-hmm. is the perfect coach for that in that situation and i would say that their personnel i they got their guy is Lori Markkinen, and they have uh, mm-hmm. they have Wendell Carter Jr. as well. And I yeah. would say that yeah. everything else is variable. They can really plug in anybody, and if they could get some really strong guard play, I'm sure they would love to because I think that's kind of what they need to step it up a
2: level in the league right now. Um, you could pair Lonzo or not Lonzo uh, Lamello <laughs> might be able to fit in with. Uh, Marketing com- uh, mm-hmm. in comparison to some other situations. Yeah, I mean, look at the Timberwolves. They already they just
0: traded for D'Angelo Russell, um, and right. Overall, I don't know how great of a situation that is. Anyway, just given the state of the front ar- office there, um, and yeah, I mean, if I'm talking, if you're talking about who in the top five, I think would benefit the most from having a guard like Lamella Ball, I would say realistically the bulls benefit the most the hornets would love to have him obviously but the bulls would definitely see the most results immediately just based on kind of what their roster looks like right now and what their uh, their coaching situation is so i would think that that is a situation that he would love to slot into and uh and just have go ham be the guy there and and help highlight some of these uh secondary talents like Lauren Marketing. So,
2: speaking of uh, sorry, go uh, ahead. Go ahead. Know, speaking of ha- the Bulls having uh, Billy Donovan uh, as their coach, though, you were just kind of talking about uh, the phenomenon of college coaches and the NBA. Mm-hmm. You wonder with the fact that like LaMelo was kind of uh, he's different in a lot of ways as a prospect, but uh, the most different is that his path to the NBA has been very different and like not going through college. Not going through any kind of amateur basketball, really. So, mm-hmm. do you think that have with Donovan coming from a college background and having uh, that mentality, as well as the fact that, like, I don't know, you might have seen it rumored that apparently LuMelo didn't do great in interviews. You wonder if he, if he has any influence on the pick. Will that impact if they go in that direction with LuMelo or not?
0: I think the ball family is always going to have a little bit of that surrounding them just given how their father has approached marketing them and kind of the reputation that they gained for themselves in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, And the thing that differentiates someone like Billy Donovan, I was just reading some comparisons about this, but the Bulls just fired Jim Boylan and replaced him with Billy Donovan, and they are very happy with their decision because the thing that differentiates him from someone like uh, Jim Boylan is Boylan was all about, discipline was all about the sacrificing for the team, and Billy Donovan seems to be more about player togetherness and about building a community of players, something like that. Hmm. And it's possible that Lamelo appreciates that. It's really hard to say how a player is going to react to a given situation, um, right. especially someone from such a atypical basketball path as Lamelo right. has presented. Uh, he has and, professional experience already, so
1: and obviously someone who's so young as well. Mm-hmm. What is he like? Nineteen years old? Yeah. I mean,
0: a lot of these top prospects are uh, twenty and under. The biggest. Outlier in that respect is uh, Obi Toppin, obviously, who is yes. pushing 23 right now. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and wow. we'll see how that affects NBA
2: teams' evaluation of him. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the, I feel like the top of the draft this year is just far more complex and far more strange than it has been in a while. Certainly since last year when they, you had that consensus with Jot and Zion. Um, I feel that with La- with uh, Lamelo, he's kind of the most representative of that. With a few guys having like atypical uh, backgrounds of coming into the league, with you know James Wiseman mm-hmm. uh, being able to play much in college, um, and
3: yeah, because he had that he whole drama really with Memphis about of- the yeah. boosters, yeah, yeah. And I mean, if I you see just look at
2: of, I see a lot of with uh, mock drafts, just a lot of. Uh, disagreement about where people are going i see some prospects i'll get into it more in a little bit maybe like going like you know even like a verge of top five and then others where they're just you know or at least top 10 and then others where they're yeah. like low in the first round and yeah. i almost feel that particularly with Lamelo, i said this before the pod to everyone i could see him falling i could see oh Mox for sure being most wrong <laughs> on him just because they don't know. They don't know what the NBA uh, front offices are going to do in such a situation like with him, because they haven't evaluated a player like him. And when when these front offices evaluate a player different than anything they've seen before, that's probably mm-hmm. going to affect. You know, it'll be taking a huge risk to take him. So, if I mean, you're in so. A situation- I looked at. I wouldn't be shocked, you know. I looked at five different draft
0: boards in preparation for this pod, and four of them had Lamelo going uh, number one or number two, and then I want to say it was Kevin O'Connor uh, of the Ringer. Hmm. And he had him going number three after Killian Hayes and Anthony Edwards. Uh, Killian Hayes is an interesting number one pick. I don't think a lot of other uh, draft yeah. boards have him going that high
2: particular is <laughs> interesting
0: yeah so i would say uh, anthony edwards i i could definitely see translating to the nba some some boards have him going eighth some boards have him going seventh it's right He's it's really it. a toss-up in this in this top 10 region uh if you look at the top
1: ten, <laughs> huh? sorry just hearing you say it's really a toss-up in this top 10 region just saying it's a toss up in a region just gave me like crazy uh, feelings I didn't want to feel. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: But if you go to tankathon.com, which is one of my favorite websites for tracking these things, um, their top 10 has four different international players uh, going in the top 10 and RJ Hampton, who was playing in New Zealand is number 11 on their board. Uh, we are we are seeing a lot of alternative sources of talent in this draft, right?
1: I was gonna yeah. I was gonna ask that question. Do we mm-hmm. is this is this the beginning of the end of the college basketball the NBA assumed pipeline?
2: I mean,
0: they're We're already seeing that.
1: that COVID, even
2: cause like people not knowing if there is going to be a season and committing to going to a non traditional program or to go even going international right off the bat, or yeah. or, or to G League, so. We'll have to see, but that is another push combined with everything into that direction.
0: Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, the NBA just made that policy change about their G League that uh, high school players can sign up for the G League. It's going to be a smaller program where uh, they will be able to get paid for playing basketball out of high school, as opposed to what the NCAA is doing. Uh, And the NCAA is... I'm sure they're not happy about this. They have made a policy change already to allow players to profit from their likeness, which was a long time coming, but I don't. I think it's too little too late. I think these players want an income. I think these players want to be able to create brands very early. They're already making brands in high school. And uh, I, Zion Williamson, I think, was the beginning of the end for this. Was wow. He was this high school star. He could have gotten a shoe line in college if he really wanted to. Um yes. And yeah, we have such big personalities uh, in the, in these young talent, these young talented players. Now they shouldn't be limited to the NCAA anymore. And I think more than international players getting better, which I think international players have always been good in the NBA. I think this is more of just bas- young basketball players trying to make a, make their own way in this uh,
3: weird situation. Honestly, just, like, where LaMelo ball ends up going will just be an interesting case, like, case study for that question about, like, yeah, route, because if you, you can kind of compare him to, like, his brother, Lonzo, who won number two, mm-hmm. also as traditional as you could go, UCLA balled out and everything. And it's just interesting because if you kind of just look at how LaMelo and RJ Hampton, they both decided to go, like, super untraditional and go to, like, the Australian League, and, like, Lomelo kind of has all these questions about, like, his game that might have been answered if he played kind of in a setting that's, I guess, more familiar and more comfortable for GMs and coaches, kind of for them to, like, understand where, what his situation was and kind of, like, to accurately evaluate his talent. I mean, if you kind of, like, look at Lamelo Ball as, like, a prospect, of course, you have, like, all the off, like, core concerns with his family. But, I mean, Lonzo being taken at too, shows you that, teams don't really care about it as much if like they believe in your talent. I think it's just his biggest knock is that he th- hasn't really had a situation where he like was kind of, I guess, like he was just given a lot of freedom in every situation he had, like playing mm-hmm. the like, big ball or grand league or like playing in Latvia and then even playing with the, uh, this Australian like team. He, like, he just needs to kind of learn how to play in within a team and not kind of just take up half court shots. So, I mean, he does have talent. He was, he still is that eighth grade kid who would point at like half court and then pull up and then splash in front of everyone. Mm. I don't know. Like, I'm kind of curious. Like, we're talking about guys who could kind of go anywhere in the draft. What do you guys kind of think about Cole Anthony? Like, he was like kind of like the guy who dominated his draft class kind of all throughout high school. And now he's kind of just fallen.
2: I've seen, I've seen um, Nets taking him in some mocks, which I, I wouldn't mind us taking a point guard. I, I, I'll talk more about, like, what I, what I would love uh, later. But uh, I, I think that's just, like, goes to that question, too, of, like, all the guys who, you know, have, uh, have these great reputations coming out of high school and then struggling one year in college, but they just want to go get the money right now, which I don't blame them for. But uh, that's always the question. And like I personally favor guys who I've seen more production for, some experience for, but like Cole Anthony, yeah, is a great prospect, obviously, and like especially some of the places I see him getting taken, like late in the first round. That's I guess the advantage of having such a deep point guard class. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't, I couldn't blame teams, I couldn't blame my team or any team around that range too much for taking a flyer on him. you know? Yeah. Yeah i
0: mean yeah. he's obviously a super talented guy i think that when you see an athletic guard like that go down with a knee injury and especially the knee injury that uh, i mean he wasn't injured in game but it definitely seemed like he he is a player that is a risk right when you're when you're running um when you're running a team and you're evaluating a prospect, you're evaluating where are we going to be with this player in five years when it's time to renew their rookie contract or where are we going to be with them? Hopefully eight years down the line, if they're, if they're still with us, Um, how does a guard like Cole Anthony project, especially if he's dealing with knee issues, especially if you didn't see him for most, for more than half of the college season. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's it's hard to evaluate a lot of these characters uh, and it is, More difficult to do so when you have these other options available to you, like Lamelo Ball, Killian Hayes. Even further down the line, I think that when you're when you're looking at, Ethan mentioned it. This is a pretty deep point guard draft, even if uh, it's not the bevy of talent that we've seen in some previous drafts.
2: Yeah, I've even so I've been talking about this for a while. Like I've seen for example, Tyrese Halliburton increasingly getting taken early and earlier in the draft. Mm -hmm. Like, I saw the Knicks taking it, being projected to take him sometimes for a while, and I thought – my personal feelings are that would be a very fitting move for the Knicks because I'm not that high on him as a prospect. Now I'm seeing Mm -hmm. him taken even earlier, like top six, which I just find interesting because – and now to preface this, I think he could be a very good player. Uh, he has some uh, advantages, but like we, there are a lot of red flags to me. You know, we talked about uh, we talked about free throw shooting uh, being a sign of uh, future shooting. His <laughs> shooting mechanics are kind of uh, murky. He didn't shoot that well from free throw, especially in uh, freshman year, and then and then there's the fact that you know he if you look at like the one tournament game he was able to play, like he really just disappeared. He was completely invisible, even though he played a lot of minutes. Um, And I I just find it interesting that there is so much uh, like, like differentiation on uh, differences opinion on like these point guards in the draft in general. Like I'm very high personally on uh, Kyra Lewis and a lot of people like, I'm even more higher on, Kyra Lewis and what he accomplished at like literally 18 and 17 for his freshman year, but especially at 18 in his sophomore year at an SEC program. Uh, and some people are pretty high on him, although not as high as on Halliburton, which confuses me. Uh, but, you know, he gets picked pretty high on some uh, mock drafts. The Knicks are, int- are uh, apparently high on him, which I think would actually make sense for them. But then sometimes he's getting picked after the Nets. And I just think as a Nets fan, like, if we could get this guy, you know, uh, where we are as a depth uh, at point guard, that that would – I'd be so fine with that. But, you know, I I don't know what everyone else thinks with, like – because it seems like everyone has different thoughts on uh, these guys.
0: Yeah, I mean, the further down in the draft that you go, you're kind of picking and choosing the qualities that you're looking for in a point guard. What I've heard about uh, Halliburton, without having had the chance to look too in-depth about him, is he is a very, very smart player. I've heard that he sees things both on defense and on offense that a lot of players (laughs) don't end up developing, sometimes even ever in their career. Um, So he would be a ready-made sort of, off-the-bench playmaker, potentially, uh, mm. and potentially more, like, low-ceiling, high-floor type of uh, type of point guard. And then you're hearing other things about, like you were saying, Kyra Lewis Jr. I've actually watched some of his game. He looks like he can get a bucket. He, I, I think that's the guy who's yeah, going to be yeah. able to get you some points. Mm. Um, and maybe not as strong in the playmaking department. And mm. on the defense side, he's a little bit jumpy for my taste, but... Um, I think, yeah, when you, this is, I think, more representative of what we've been saying than anything else we've said so far on this pod. That this, when we say this isn't a deep draft, we don't mean that there are bad players in this. I think there are just less sure things in this draft than we've seen in a very long time. And when you, when you're saying as early, as early up, as really top five but like top 10 top 15 so many of these players are players that they might be something they but they have these glaring deficiencies that make some teams hesitant to go for them immediately and that's why you're seeing these draft boards really tossing it up uh or really really shaking it up their orders
3: between each other all the time So we've, we've kind of been talking about the guards in this draft and, I don't know, just kind of, like, looking at this past playoffs, you we are kind of to kind of, like, the importance of, like, having a big, <laughs> like, potentially, I mean, hypothetically down the line, if you're looking at the Warriors with the number two pick, what do you guys think, of, like, about them maybe, like, taking a risk with someone like Wiseman or Onyeki Okongwu, who's just, who's a big man and offers some potential defensive flexibility And I guess, like, the argument is you you implement them in kind of a stable, secure system, like the warrior system that they've kind of just been, like, prying themselves on. And then you could, A, develop someone for the future and also, B, hopefully find someone who's just a big enough body just to make life difficult for, like, the big men in the West.
0: I mean, I'll say my piece really quick. I... Among the three top sort of big prospects that are being proposed, which are Toppin, Okongwu, and Wiseman, I think Wiseman is the closest thing to a sure thing that you're going to get. He yeah. has a good head on his shoulders. Uh, he gets boards like nobody's business. He is mm-hmm. huge. That man is a large person. Uh, the, I, I think that he's definitely going to be able to compete with a lot of these NBA teams and, and just get boards. And if that's what you're getting in a prospect, and that's what you're looking for. You're not gonna get a much better prospect than him. Like even at other points in history, I don't think that he's gonna carry a team on his back by himself. But he's definitely a guy that you'd want on your team if you're a little bit, a uh, little bit weak at the center position. Um, Toppin, on the older side, very solid player. Can't be mad about taking him. Can't be mad about, uh, you know, if you if you take like the seventh or eighth pick with Toppin. Right. He's a guy that y- you're going to be able to say, like, yeah, he's filling right. in some space. He's on our bench, and we're happy about it. We're happy to bring him in off the bench as our big. Uh, right. Okongu, it can go a few different ways. I think having a quick, large-ish uh, NBA level defender is someone that you would love to have, and if that's that's kind of how people have projected Okongu, um, if that's what he is.
2: He's going to be good. He's definitely going to have a place on a team. And that's what I'm saying with, like, like you can think about, like, Minnesota really needs defense at the top of the draft. And, yeah. like, it's some of these, like, guys that mock drafts feel, oh, these have to be, like, the top guys going in the draft. Do they fit them perfectly? So it almost feels like the kind of year where you could see an Anthony Bennett-like situation where a guy comes out of nowhere just because everyone's not – as high on these guys as uh, some prospects other years where you just feel compelled to take them, and I just think it's going to be a really interesting draft to see, and I think it could be a very entertaining draft because yeah uh, a lot of us we don't really know exactly what to expect, combined with the fact that like uh, it's a smaller sample size with some of these guys there this past year since uh, the the season got uh stopped so I I mean, it's, I I know I'm not saying anything revolutionary there, but here, but.
0: Yeah. Yeah. More than any other year, we are going to see some shakeups in this draft. A lot of mock draft boards are going to be blown out of the water. And it doesn't help that there are very few consensuses right now, other than like LaMelo maybe being top three, you know? So. Right. Honestly. So was you, that leading into something that's that sounded like a right what, from me? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well,
1: I, w- I was gonna say. Well, I think I think there are there are also a lot of uh, uncertainties with the teams themselves who are picking quite high. Right. I think we don't. We're definitely going to see so much movement as yeah, far as trades go. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And I even with the among the rosters themselves, like we don't know what version of the Golden State Warriors we're going to be getting next year. Mm-hmm. So we don't know what they're trying to draft for really are they trying to draft for like a reload do they want more firepower are they thinking about life after stephen curry as he gets up there at age or are they trying to retool i think i'm not ready for life after steph curry (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i think and also with the timberwolves like do they want to move forward with d'angelo russell do they not um it's a it's it's an interesting, I think I think the picks at the top of the draft will also be interesting indicators of what direction these teams are trying to move in.
0: For sure. All right, Graham, you had something to say? We'll uh, give you the floor, and then we'll bring it home with a cent
3: finish. Um. Honestly, just thinking about just like we're talking about kind of movements within the draft and everything. Honestly, yes. nothing changes the draft order more than a trade. And I was just kind of thinking about just responding to kind of like just the general, I guess, confirmation from Griffin that they're looking to move, they're looking to consider all uh, trade options for Drew Holiday. I was kind of wondering, hypothetically, if the, if the Pelicans do end up trading Drew Holiday, Ugh. that opens them up to, I guess, get a point guard. And if they fall, if Lamelo falls, like we've said, I mean, <laughs> number 13 uh, isn't that bad. And Alonzo Lamelo ball backcourt, love Oh, be with you also feel like if that happens, I would actually be very happy.
0: That would be a very <laughs> oh entertaining team to
3: watch for sure. Wow. All right.
0: So we are going to cut it off there and move on to our Tucson finish the segment of our show where we give each of our hosts the floor to rant soliloquy, talk about something that they cared about in sports from this past week, or it's just something that pissed them off. So
1: who'd like to go first? I would like to go first. I have I have something I need to say, and I'm going to repeat this. I'm going to repeat this during uh, me and Ethan's Monday Night Football podcast that's coming up. Uh, this because the game is between our two teams, the Patriots and the Jets. All right, real quick. This is my this is my plea to Patriots fans. Please calm down. Please calm the f- down. Like relax teams lose games it's fine that doesn't mean everyone on the team is bad i'm so upset at the way patriots fans have handled themselves when this team has come up short in winnable games or also when they've been blown out i'm really really disappointed with with the fan base that i'm a part of please patriots fans listening get a grip <laughs> get over yourselves Teams lose games uh that doesn't mean you have to hate every player all right that's my that's my thought
3: anybody else (laughs) um i guess keeping with the football wave um go las vegas raiders been loving everything i saw man i don't know what grapple was but thank you cleveland for teaching us that and as well as giving us a w and uh (laughs) looking forward to the chargers and i really believe in Derek carr probably my last words but I, i see i see it going nice
0: really quick i would like to talk about the golden state warriors who we've been talking about for a little bit i think that they have the potential to have one last decent run in them i'm not saying they're gonna make the finals i'm not saying they're gonna make the western conference finals but i think they could be a top four team in the west which is naturally a tall order there are some pretty competitive teams up there Mm -hmm. but When we're looking at the personnel that they're working with, they still have Draymond Green, even though he's a little bit older and maybe a little bit duller than he uh, usually has been. And they got Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, who I think is the key to opening up Steph in a lot of ways that other teammates of his haven't really been. I think having a healthy Clay and Steph on the same court is just a recipe for success. Uh, Maybe not the success Golden State fans grew accustomed to for a few years there, but some success indeed. And I would just not sleep on the Golden State Warriors in this upcoming season.
3: All right,
2: I'll go last. Oh, I have to go last. <laughs> but, um, uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, baseball. Uh, so my raise just declined the option of uh, Charlie Morton. Now, that doesn't sit- mean he is definitely not going to come back They might be able to get him at a different price, but... I just am a little dissatisfied with Rays uh the Rays uh the way they run things right now even though I shouldn't they made the world series they had a great season but after the way it ended with uh taking out our starting pitcher early uh and the debate over the analytics of that and my opinion is that analytics do not back that up but the way Rays run things uh doing the thing where we just uh Trade, uh find a cheaper asset to replace uh, a player that has done really well for us. I'm just not feeling it right now, especially given all that Charlie Morton has done for us, what he did during this playoff. I really wish we'd just pay the man, especially since Stuart Sternberg has money. He can pay for this stuff. He's not like he's a pauper. And I think we can be smart and still uh, spend money. And I honestly... That's kind of what I'd like from this current race season. So maybe I'll feel dumb when we find some guy who is even better for nothing and then like win the world series in five games or something. But just right now, I'm (laughs) not really feeling it.
0: All right. And that brings us to the end of this podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. Hey, shout out to Graham once again. His first pod did a great job. Uh, Hope to have him back on again sometime.
3: Thank you guys for having me. Really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Thanks to David for hosting. Thanks to Ethan for coming on and giving us some of them facts, baby. Uh, and we will be back at it again with some other content some other time at an indeterminate date when sports things continue to happen. Follow mm-hmm. us on Twitter at Brn Sports Convos and look for our website, Brown Sports Convos. Uh, I don't know what the URL is situation is looking like right now, but it Working
2: is on we're working on it. We're we're trying to get that
0: domain. It'll happen
2: eventually. It'll happen. Yeah, eventually. yeah.
0: We you guys will be the first to know after I learn it.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks you guys. You guys will be at most second to know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> There's an upper limit on this. All right. Peace out, y'all. All right. Peace.
1: She didn't look into my eyes yet.